This is The Playbook. Welcome to The Playbook here at The Wynn Studios, Blue Wire Studios at The Wynn Hotel. In the lobby of The Wynn, I have been in many studios and I still, I almost get teary-eyed, Becky Center, when I come front and center here at The Wynn because this studio is super cool, even when you see a giant Dave Meltzer or David Meltzer behind you. Anyway, I am so blessed to be here because I have another green waiver. That's right. Summa cum laude. <laughs> the little trivia question. One of us was summa cum laude at Tulane. Uh, and there's actually two of us here that were because my daughter and Becky Center, the CEO of Indiegogo is here. Thank you for joining me on the playbook. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it, it was me. Thanks for pulling up my facts. Um, I have to agree. This studio is Gorgeous. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much. Well, you fit in here because you're the top of the top. And, you know, recently you've taken over as CEO of Indiegogo. And, you know, as a key executive, someone that comes with a wealth of experience, we have our own individual perspective of what we want to do when we take over a company. And I've been blessed to be in that situation and cursed to be in that situation. Uh, When you started, what were some of the priorities that you felt that were quick adjustments either to the culture or to the business model that you felt could have the most impact, not just for Indiegogo, but maybe for crowdfunding itself in general? Oh, wow. Such a great question off the bat. Thank you so much. Um, It's true. It's really interesting, uh, I think, to come in to a company and be new to the company and the industry and new to being a CEO. So it was a lot. So. Sounds like a lot. Oh, wait, I did that myself. It is a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. And you go through. You, you still have your hair, so you look at me. <laughs> I blew it. You know, some days it's not always <laughs> quite so in place, but I try. Um, <laughs> but I really went through that, like, kind of typical 90-day plan where, um, and I was pretty regimented. I tried to plan out, you know, who I was going to talk to, what I wanted to learn, um, talking to the, all the people on my team, talking to customers, uh, going through all of the data, going through our finances, and and I I took my time and I and I was thoughtful about that, um, and then I had things I wanted to change. And I think the hardest thing actually is, uh, when do you make those changes because you trust your gut, and when are you like maybe there's still something I don't know, and there's a reason it's being done this way, and I need to learn because I'm newer, and 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 maybe there's a reason. And so that's like an interesting delicate balance. Um, and now that I'm in the role a whole whopping nine months I'm much much more I'm like confident in knowing that difference and going going with my gut and also trying things and most things aren't irreversible so it's like kind of I think a lesson learned on that is it's better to actually make the change and see and you can you can roll back but usually um usually you're right so that's maybe a little pretext there but some things I changed right away we a few few things about just the company how we operate internally I made a lot of changes. Um, we went fully remote during COVID. That happened before I stepped in, and we made that decision. So I came in remote company. There were still we were doing a great job of how to operate that, but there were still some things that I came in and we had to change. Um, I did a lot with things like let's define everyone's role and responsibility. I want to make sure that people know exactly what they're supposed to be doing, and we have the right people in the right roles. Let's think about our goal setting process. Are we really clear on that? Let's think about our metrics and our KPIs. Are they the right things to track? Or are we just looking at the same dashboards because those have been our dashboards for a long time? So what's interesting in tech is a 15-year-old company, 
that's still very much a startup is kind of old and you've got a lot of legacy infrastructure and a lot of like we're doing things this way because we've been doing them so I actually would say I made a lot of changes early like within the first three to current to nine months um, of how we operate how we run the company and then the crowdfunding industry as a whole whole different thing and I think similarly there I'm coming from I spent a lot of time at Groupon which is kind of like a similar you know marketplace connecting small businesses and their audience it's not quite e-commerce but it like learned a lot of those e-commerce principles so that's something I'm bringing to Indiegogo and to crowdfunding in general is like what is special and unique about crowdfunding that we want to keep and what um, are some things that have evolved in the kind of broader e-commerce and tech industry that we can bring in learned best practices and make some quick improvements and kind of like catch up to sort of trends we're seeing elsewhere. So, yeah. And I've been blessed to work with Indiegogo before you were even there with uh, my original TV show with Entrepreneur Magazine. And I learned a lot about crowdfunding. And I am a little bit older than most people in the technology space. I've been in it much longer because when I graduated uh, Tulane Law School in 1992, <laughs> I got involved in the internet and it was uh, not the same thing that we see today. More importantly, I see things in a quantitative measure and I'm very keen to understand progress. And so when I was working with years ago, Indiegogo, I saw progress and progress means that the Rule of 72, because progress is an energy, emotion is an energy that is difficult to quantify. So I look to see how much time is it as I see the growth of the community, the mm. crowdfunding community, not just Indiegogo, but anyone involved in where it was going in regulation with actual investment to just the marketing side. And I saw so much potential. And the first thing that we were talking about before we got on the show was being early and I have a philosophy that I'm always early. And, uh, you know, we're always early. How early are we still in the crowdfunding progress? It, you know, how early are we? Is I think I think we're super early. I think we're super early. And, and the reason is, um, like, what we were talking about is crowdfunding started really, like, around 2008. And if you think back... Um, that was kind of before Facebook really even hit it big, um, certainly before uh, TikTok and Instagram and a lot of the creator economy, even, you know, things that we sort of take for granted today. And I see that crowdfunding is at this very interesting intersection of um, sometimes it's a little bit of e-commerce, sometimes a little bit of artistry, right, film and, and art. And there's all these different industries that leverage crowdfunding, intersection of fintech, intersection, right? Dirty charity and doing good and supporting and it's like all of these things kind of come together in this one platform that's you know the amount of tech that goes into it is in comparatively kind of simple but the way that it serves the community and what it does is really interesting and unique and I think that the opportunity to grow there is huge because I just we're, we're only serving this like small part of it right now and there's there's a lot of growth there. Yeah, it's really funny because even sitting here in this studio six years ago, which is coming up Super Bowl six years ago, when I sat down with a guy that I didn't know what a Gary V was, but I got to sit down with the Gary V. And, you know, he convinced me as helping him with his sports agency, which I didn't know a lot about, mm -hmm. that I should move my radio show, my sports blender radio show to a podcast. 
And I remember telling him, podcasts, there's like 200,000 of those things. Why would I leave a premier Gao Media distribution <laughs> yeah. on my radio show to get a podcast? I'm way too late. And he said, oh, you don't even know how early you are. And he was correct. And I see even more exponential growth possible in the crowdfunding space. And so knowing that you're still pre-chasm yeah. and coming in as a new CEO, and now you've changed some uh, trained skills that you have and knowledge of how efficiency works, there's a culture that needs to be congruent with some of the practices and pragmatic tools that you've given these startup people who work for a legacy company. Um, and so what are some of the values that you wanted to empower the, the team with that you feel will carry them to accelerate the progress and possibilities of the future? Um, so we actually have, the company has a set of values um, that I evaluated when I came in and I ended up keeping them because I thought they were really lovely. And they are, uh, it's called the face values, fearlessness, authenticity, cooperation, and empowerment. And we spent a long time thinking like, are these the right values? Does it work with us? And the reason I love it so much is it works both with how we run the company and what the company is externally. And um, I think there's this like fearlessness, like you are really, when you put a crowdfunding campaign out there, that is so scary, right? You're asking the world like, here's my idea, believe in the idea, but believe in me, right? Because crowdfunding to the next value, authenticity, it's just like, yes, you care about the idea, but you, ca you care about the person. That's what makes crowdfunding, I think, really special. That's actually what makes it different than e-commerce or, you know, different than buying from a corporation or supporting a big corporation. Um, you're, like, really about the person behind it. So this idea of, like, fearlessness, putting yourself out there, being authentic to who you are, cooperation, working with the crowd and empowerment. I mean, I think one of the most beautiful things also, when we talk about it being more of a fintech company, is we're bringing financial advantages to people who have often been disadvantaged, right? Like they couldn't get traditional financing and they're going out into the world and saying, believe in me, back me, help me live my dream. So those were the values and it was one of the things I didn't change when I came in. And how now how we um, like embody those values, I think is where it gets really interesting. So yeah, as a company, for instance, cooperation, we are, um, we are so cooperative and like sometimes that you can be too cooperative and then you don't want to disrupt yourself, right? So those are things where it's like, what does that mean and how do we want to utilize it and put it into action and behaviors? But the values, luckily, were really um, well thought out. And in doing my due diligence as you as a leader and an executive, beyond finding out that you went to what now is not only academically, socially, one of the greatest schools in America, but also football-wise, now <laughs> one of the greatest schools in America. Finally. But I, I will tell you one of my proudest moments about Tulane, I just have to add this because I meet so many extraordinary people that went to that school, is I'm on a mission to empower, which is one of your values, o over a billion people to be happy. And uh, I get and blessed to be a resident executive there and speak at Tulane all the time. And I see these flags all over the number one happy school in America, the happiest student body. That and so interesting. that's interesting, but I think even more, it has bled over into my career and doing due diligence on you has bled over into your career. And one of the core values of your company seems to be a core value of yours for a really long time, and it's authenticity. 
It also seems to be one of the components that's tied into empowerment, especially in equity, inclusion, equality, the things that I've worked on my entire career and you have as well. And maybe we were inspired by the school that we went to as well, which is a leader in that space. How do you define authenticity, which is overused and, and misunderstood so often? I love taking someone that has utilized true authenticity in their career or their personal life and now is a company culture. What does that actually mean? Because I think it gets misinterpreted a lot and someone like you seems to be consistent in their understanding of it. Um, yeah, I mean, if we want to go back to like the Tulane days and I, people kind of ask me, how did I build my career and what was what was my strategy? And it's funny because I would say I didn't have that strategy. I did, I did in retrospect, didn't know I was doing it at the time, was just more staying authentic to myself. So I went to Tulane. I was a math major. I just knew I wanted to be a math major. I don't know why. I was, it's kind of nerdy. Like I was kind of just this nerdy high school girl who loved math. And I did that. And it was always like a surprise conversation at the bars <laughs> when people were like, oh, what are you doing? I don't know. I'm a math major. Um, but, you know, I kind of then, uh, I just, in New Orleans is, it's such a great analogy because New Orleans is this beautiful city that is so unique and so authentic to itself. And a topic for another day, but I was there during Katrina was my junior year. So I just saw the city and what it went through and how it persevered and the heart and spirit of it. And I think living there, um, it helped me like learn to be comfortable with my uniqueness and who I am. And so as I approached my career, I kind of just picked things that felt interesting and unique. And I worked with people I liked and I didn't think too much about title and who I'm supposed to be and how someone is supposed to be. And that um, was challenging at times. And it's taken, you know, me like different bumps in the road and opportunities that have come up to kind of get past that. I never, I will sit here and say, I never would have thought I would be sitting on this podcast and be the CEO of such a wonderful company. And the board who hired me, um, embodied that authenticity value and they said like in the interview process that it came through that I just showed up to those interviews and I tried to do the best I could and I tried to you know think about the problems of the company and how I would want to approach them and solve them but I was also myself in that you know I'm um, a mom and yeah I mean I'm just like I'm from the midwest I, I just like am who I am um I'm a little nerdy I like puns like I just <laughs> am who I am right I care about people I care about my team you have to make the tough calls as a CEO, but like you care as well. And um, my board said like that was the right fit for Indiegogo and I, um, I credit them. I think that was lovely and they gave me this opportunity and I'm so grateful um, to be here. And, um, you know, so through my company now, I try to cascade that and let people feel like, you know, to be who they are, to show up as they want to be and to know that they've got career paths and, you know, it's, it's, it should be open to people to be really who they are. And one of the challenges over the last 15 years for Indiegogo is the change that occurs outside of Indiegogo. And you mentioned some of the changes like COVID and working remote. But one of the biggest changes that's really early right now, we're at Web 2.5, but I see great synergy with Web 3.0. When you talk about crowdfunding mm -hmm. and the democratization and the freedom that's created in a true marketplace, uh, the, the blockchain is going to be an incredible way yeah. of creating more interest and exchanging value, a variety of things in the authenticity and credibility of who's investing and not investing or donating and not in donating or buying and not buying. Um, 
right now, do you have a certain section of your uh, strategy that is inclusive of blockchain and 3.0 and how it's going to affect crowd uh, funding? So I would say I spend a certain amount of my personal, like, curiosity time on that and keeping up to date. In my view, it is, like, beyond early (laughs) days for Web3, like, so, so early, right? And we are still the small, scrappy startup. So it it, it would... um, it's not necessarily on our roadmap right now. The way I think about it is, yes, there are a lot of things that are, make it very interesting. Um, it, it, like an NFT is totally a crowdfunding ownership of some, you know, some of these fractional things. Um, but for us, it's like, what is the problem we're trying to solve right now for our community and for our users? And then what, what technology should we use to get to that problem? And so it's, it's a fine line. Like I think sometimes... Um, you don't want to, you don't, you want to like, you don't want to be behind the new technology, but you don't want to do it just because it's cool. Right. So that's something that I think about a lot. It's not on our roadmap right now. Um, but that doesn't mean it couldn't happen in the future. I think also I'll just like pause and say, when we talk about things that happen off the platform and out of our control, um, something that's been really challenging with crowdfunding in particular and with web three is just trust and safety. And so we've evolved as a business, you know, to make to we've done a lot with our trust and safety team and how we do fraud detection um, and how we take care of our audience and our community to prevent fraud as much as possible. Uh, A big challenge right now with Web3 is how can decentralized companies have that same um, trust and safety of a central team who is really like trained to do it? I think that's going to get solved. Like, I really believe that will get solved, but I don't think it's solved yet, and that's a huge problem for us personally. Yeah, I think you're yeah. living proof that is very, very early. And yeah. but it is something to watch it and, yeah. and to learn um, as AI evolves as yeah. well, and you get all these great solutions that uh, seem to change the world instantly. But it, there's still a, a far reach to go. Just to finish up, you said something that really intrigued me as an entrepreneur. And there's certain companies that are scrappy startups, but they've been branded so well, and there's so much great energy behind the brand that it causes challenges, uh, especially in business development, channel partnership, and sales, that because the name is so recognizable and it carries such great energy, that it actually can create interference or detriment to a company because everyone thinks you're a multi-billion dollar success story. (laughs) <laughs> and when you said that, I'm like, you know, I think Indiegogo falls into yeah. that difficult challenge of people when they're, you know, hear that you're on my show, they're like, oh my God, Indiegogo, they're amazing. You know, what a huge, amazing billion dollar success story. They're a unicorn. And, you know, I do know the background of the, where the successes are and, you know, it's going to be. Yeah. But it causes great challenge when people think you're much, much, much bigger or more successful than you are. How did you deal with that difficulty and also take advantage of it? Yeah, I was going to say, I hadn't thought of it that way as a challenge. Um, Although now that you say it, I'm going to go back and think about like maybe what things, what impact it's having that I hadn't considered. Um, I've thought of it as an asset. I think our brand, like I always say our brand punches above its weight class. You'll Um, love that. Yeah, it's like, you know. You hear me say that on another podcast. Please call me. Take it, it's yours. Becky Center told you that. (laughs) 
I don't think I made it up, so take it. I love it. Um, but like, it's a great brand and it's got, it's an asset for us. Um, and, and it's also like a sweetheart brand. So when I go at conferences and I meet people and they say Indiegogo, I mean, even just in your hallway, like two folks were like, I did a campaign on Indiegogo, right? Or people will say, oh, my friend did and they did so well. And like people just like, it's this like emotional sweetheart brand. People care about it, resonates with it, which is like the beauty of the brand, but also of the product and the industry that we created. And so I just see it as this huge asset because I'm going around like maybe doing a little bit of reinvention, you know, looking for some growth stories and people are really willing to work with us and want to and love it. And um, I don't know, everyone's just been like wonderfully generous to this company and to me. So well, you can yeah. sit in a better place and I hope to be a bigger part of that uh, unbelievable progress that you are a catalyst in. And I love anyone that understands math because <laughs> I utilize, I do a lot of executive coaching and a lot of consulting for bigger businesses. And I can't tell you how often. So you're, you're also, I think, a psychology minor. I double majored in oh, math and major. psychology. So, <laughs> then so, I got a master's at Stanford after. I never heard of that school. But anyway, no. but here's what's so interesting. And I'm going to finish with this. Yeah. Um, so many people ask me, you know, how should I look at this, whatever. And I said, you know, what's so interesting is I either apply math or psychology. Th those That's are the, awesome. say, yeah. whether it's sales or marketing or, you know, human resources, like I stick yeah. to a quantitative analysis yeah. and I can stick it in. Time is so important to me because I believe it is the mathematical dependent variable of all matter, subjective and objective matter. And a lot of people want to understand that. And variant in that philosophy that I have, is a psychology as well. So if you believe that time is a quantifier measurable a measure that's dependent on all matter, you have to understand psychology and math. And so for me, as big as the brand is and as successful as you are, and when I found out you went to Tulane, I love the fact that you are a psychology and math person like me, and there's no doubt why that everything you said resonated with me and you should be so proud of yourself and so should your mom, by the way, and so should Tulane University and Stanford, I guess. <laughs> More importantly, this is Dave Meltzer with the incredible Becky Center, the CEO of Indiegogo. If you haven't heard of it, you've been hiding under a rock, so go check them out anyway. We're here at the Wynn Hotel with the Blue Wire Studios. I'm blessed to have you here. I'm Dave Meltzer with Entrepreneurs, The Playbook.